I heard President Obama say recently he's going to send 1,500 of our troops back over to uh, the Middle East. Oh, but not in a combat role, he said, that uh, they would be advisors training those people over there. And I was reminded that I had heard those words once before. Back in the early 60s when I was a a young cadet in one of our military academies, President John F. Kennedy said basically the same things. He said, some of you will be going to Southeast Asia, but don't worry about it. uh, It's not a, a combat role. You're just going to be advisors. You're going to be training those people to to defend themselves against the communists coming down out of the north. When I think of that, I think of the uh, Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. It's called The Wall. It uh, is uh, 150 feet long. Does that sound right? polished black granite and it's got over 58,000 names etched on it. I wonder if those guys think that they were advisors over there. I just think about that and I think by God's grace my name is not up there on that wall. Jesus said greater love hath no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. I saw her from a distance As she walked up to the wall In her hand she held some flowers As the tears began to fall She took out pen and paper as to trace her memories and she looked up to heaven and the words she said were these she said lord my boy was special and he meant so much to me and though i'd love to see him just one more time you see All I have are the memories and the moments to recall. So, Lord, can you tell him he's more than a name on the wall? She said he really missed the family. Being home on Christmas Day And he died for God and country In a place so far away I remember just a little boy Playing war since he was three But Lord, this time I know He's not coming home to me He said, Lord, my boy was special, and he meant so much to me. 
And though I'd love to see him But I know it just can't be So I thank you for the memories And the moments to recall But Lord, could you tell him He's more than a name on the wall Lord, could you tell him He's more than a name on the wall Thank you, Lord, for our brothers in arms. talk to you about two miracles this morning, uh, two miracles that intertwined in Scripture. They, they were very closely related, and, uh, but mostly I want to talk about the second of the two, but, but they're so interrelated you can't avoid speaking about both. Um, one of them is Jairus, uh, who had a daughter who was 12 years old who was near death when he approached Jesus. She actually died, and Jesus raised her from the dead. And the other is a woman who had what the Bible called an issue of blood. Uh, she had some kind of disorder that caused her to bleed or to hemorrhage, and she came to Jesus seeking healing. And these two miracles took place uh, basically at the same time. It is, it is one story that encompasses both. And maybe you've read the story about the little girl raised from the dead, and, and sometimes we read that and we think, man, uh, her father had faith, and I'm sure that he did, but you could also read into that a little bit more and, and begin to wonder how much faith Jair- Jairus really had. Um, he was a uh, synagogue ruler, a ruler of the synagogue, and the synagogues were notorious that day or those days of kind of going after Jesus. Uh, they had ran Jesus off, and, and they had criticized Jesus. It didn't help that he went in and cast a demon out in the middle of their service and did a few things like that to upset him. But Jairus comes to Christ when he has this need, and so some have questioned his sincerity of maybe he's just, just using Jesus. But in the long run, The miracle is performed, and I think that had to have changed his life forever. I ran across something that I want to read to you. It was an article. It's actually uh, a narrative written by a woman, and she writes it from the synagogue ruler's wife's position. She said this, I will never forget the day I met Jesus. Our home was filled with family, friends, and public mourners crying and wailing because my 12-year-old daughter had died in my arms. All throughout her lingering illness, I felt so helpless with nowhere to turn. You see, I had heard about Jesus and how he healed people, even raising a woman's son from the dead. I wanted to find him, but it would have been impossible for me as the wife of our town's chief synagogue officer to seek out Jesus on my own. I wasn't even permitted to walk the streets alone, much less search for a maverick teacher. This would have brought the ultimate embarrassment to my husband, Jairus. And because Jairus was prominent in the synagogue, he had reason to think twice about going to Jesus as well. Pharisees, priests, and teachers of the law from all around had labeled Jesus as a blasphemous troublemaker. They wanted a reason to arrest him and stop his growing popularity. They even drove him out of the synagogue in Nazareth. So how could Jairus, a synagogue ruler, dare ask Jesus for help? But on that horrible day, as he listened to our daughter's shallow, noisy breathing, Jairus could no longer restrain himself. Synagogue ruler or not, he had to find the healer. It was our last hope. When Jairus found Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading for the life of our only child. 
Waiting for Jairus to return felt like an eternity. I wondered if Rabbi Jesus would really come to help a little girl. Most rabbis had no time for females, young or old, and viewed us as a distraction from the more important things in life. As she drew her last breath, I held my precious daughter in my arms, stroking her hair, her clothes soaked with my tears. I screamed her name, begging her to come back to me, but she was beyond the reach of my voice. I carefully laid her on the bed and stared at her face for a long time. A servant left immediately to tell Jairus. It wasn't long before I heard men talking in the common room. A man asked the crowd why there was such a noisy commotion and wailing. He said my daughter was just sleeping. Everyone laughed at him. Then he told them to leave the house. I welcomed the quiet that followed. We stood by with three of Jesus' disciples as the healer leaned over the bed and gently took my daughter's small hand in his. Then, with endearing affection, he said to her, My little one, I say to you, rise up. She began to stir. Her eyes opened, and Jesus, still holding her hand, lifted her to a sitting position. She immediately jumped off the bed and walked toward us. I grabbed her and held on to her, tears of joy streaming down my face. Jairus wrapped up his arms tightly around us both. Not missing a single detail, Jesus then smiled and said, Well, give her something to eat. Elated at this startling turn of events, we hurried to find her something to eat. Jairus and I were both humbled by the impartial goodness of Jesus. With just one gracious touch of his hand, Jesus brought jubilant life into our home the home of a synagogue president, showing mercy that we did not deserve. And I thought it was a very touching um, account of what took place that day and just kind of added a little spin to that, a little detail to that that maybe we miss. And let's look at the scripture, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And isn't it true that when you go through scripture, it seems like there was always a crowd waiting for Jesus? There was always a group of people that, that, needed he, that needed him. They either needed his healing, they needed to know what he had to say, they needed hope, and, and that ought to be the way it is today, amen, that when we have church services, they ought to be filled with folks that need Jesus, that need to hear what Christ has to say and need the touch of Christ in their lives, that need a, a miracle maybe. And so this crowd is waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. 
But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. I want to talk about this this morning because there's just so many comparisons in this passage. Number one, you find Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He was a man who was well-known, wasn't he? People knew him by name. In fact, some commentators indicate that maybe his name is even mentioned here as a little bit of a shame tactic, that he was one of these synagogue rulers, one of these religious people, one of the ones that should have had faith in Christ all along, but only came to him now in a moment of need. But he is well-known, and the woman that comes to Christ is kind of an unknown, isn't she? She's mentioned not by name. She's just mentioned as a woman that had this disease. She came to Christ. And and you know what? In our churches, there will be those that are known and unknown. There'll be some folks that just can't help it, that they walk in a room and everybody gets to know them. They're outspoken. They're laughing all the time. They're joyous all the time. They're just the the ones that everybody seems to know. And you know what? In our churches, there will always be folks that kind of slide in the back and sit in the corner somewhere. And as soon as the prayer is given, they're sliding out the door. And all of us sit around saying, who was that guy? You know, did you catch his name? No, he got in and out of here before any of us could do it. And they just come. They have a need also. And so these two people come into this story. They find themselves at Jesus' feet. Jairus comes in and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And and he begins to cry out and plead with Christ to save him. And yet the woman comes in much differently. She comes from behind Christ, merely reaches through the crowd, and just touches the hem of his garment. And I think that's true in our churches today, that there are some who are very out, outgoing in their worship. They're very out there. They, they clap and, and they raise their hands and they shout praise the Lord. And, and there are others that are maybe a little bit more reserved about it. But both have come to worship God, haven't they? We went to a, a concert the other night and it was an amazing concert, a great, great program, great songs. And I sat there and, and I've just got too much, I guess, free will, old free will Baptist. I sat around there with my hands like this and I'm enjoying the music and I'm kind of tapping my head back and forth. Other people were raising their hands, clapping, and there was someone over there square dancing in a corner to some of the old, old songs. And, and I just, but we were all worshiping God. And you know what, you may come in here this morning and you may be the quietest one in the room, but that doesn't mean that you're not here seeking Christ, does it? There's a different way that, that some people worship. Jesus had, Jairus had a need, didn't he? It's interesting that he had a daughter who was 12 years old that was about to die. And the woman comes in and she has a disease that she's had for 12 years. They both had a need. One of them was very outgoing. Everybody knew he had a need. I'm wondering if the woman herself maybe had kept her need secret and private, that it was something maybe that she didn't want broadcast everywhere. And certainly some have indicated that because of this disease and and the blood involved in it, that it maybe excluded her from a lot of the ceremonial parts of worship that she would have been considered unclean and and not able to worship at certain times and going to public at certain times. But they both had needs, didn't they? And in the end, both of their needs are met and both of them find Christ. Both of them find healing. And I want to just share with you some points this morning that that just kind of stick out to me. And I got one main point that I want to give you this morning. The first one is this, is that people have needs even though we may not know what they are. Even though we don't know what they are, you realize that every Sunday morning when you walk through these doors, sometimes what's on your heart is what's on your heart. 
I mean, you walk in and you know what's going on in your life, and maybe we don't have any clue what's going on in people around us. Some of them we do because we've, we've heard prayer requests, or maybe they're vocal about it, saying, hey, I need your prayer. But do you know that there are people that walk in here sometimes that are going through things that they've never said anything to anyone about? They just carry it silently, and maybe they lift it up to God, and they pray to God, but, but they would never, ever have the courage maybe to cry out to God like Jairus did and fall at his feet and, and, and just plead for mercy, but they're still here, and they still got a need. They're searching, and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you walked in here, and you're carrying the weight of the world on you, and no one else knows, and you feel all alone and isolated, but understand this, Christ knows what you walked in here with. It's no mystery. He knows. He knows you. He is intimately aware of what's going on in your life, and he's here to meet needs. In fact, when the woman touched his hem of his garment, he stopped and he said, who touched me? He was even aware of that, and the disciples are kind of amazed, and Peter says, Lord, how would we even begin to tell who touched you? We're in a crowd. People are pushing. People are shoving, and yet you knew that this woman touched you. And you know what? This morning you may be here and you may not think anybody knows, but Christ knows what you need. He's very aware of it. So people have needs even though we may not know what they are. And I could stand here and and I could begin to describe needs that people have and and I might hit a lot of those needs, but the truth is there's probably needs in, in our lives that maybe some of us have never even thought of. There's probably things going on that, that we didn't even dream of. And the second thing is this, is we must know who we can truly trust to meet our needs. We've got to know who can meet our needs, don't we? And I think the world is filled with people who have needs. In fact, if they're breathing, they have needs. And the world is filled with these folks. And unfortunately, many of them are looking everywhere else to have those needs met, aren't they? The woman that comes to Jesus in this story, it says that she had spent her entire living on physicians. She had gone to the doctors. She had got her, her, her pass to go to the specialists, if you will. She had been to UC Davis, UCF. She had been down to Santa Barbara. She had been everywhere. She had exhausted all of her savings, all of her money. Her health insurance had cut her off. Every need that she had wanted to have met, she had sought to find its meeting and had not found that. And you know what? The world's filled with that, isn't it? Folks that have a need inside, and they try to fill it with everything. One theologian said that deep within the heart of every man is a God-shaped void. And we try to fill that with things, and, and the reality is the only thing that really fits is God. He's the only one that can truly meet our needs. And this woman, after spending it all, after spending her entire life, so not only is she physically bankrupt, but she is financially bankrupt. I'm sure that emotionally she is just in a state of loneliness. And it's then that she comes to Jesus. And she's got this faith that if she could just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, that everything would be okay. I mean, that's some great faith, isn't it? The ruler of the synagogue comes to Jesus and and he falls on his knees and he pleads with Jesus and he's got faith also, but he's saying, Jesus, I need you to come to my house right away. My daughter's sick and I need you to be there. I need you to touch her. I need you to, to pray over her. I need you to heal her. You've got to come with me. And this woman's not asking Jesus to go anywhere. She's just saying, if I could just get close enough just to touch him, 
that everything will be okay. We've got to know who can truly meet our needs. Third, we need to know this, is that being in the crowd that worships isn't the same thing as touching Jesus. Think about that. You could come in here every Sunday morning, and we could fill this place up, and we could sing, and we could clap, and we could shout, and and folks could smile and laugh, and man, we could just have a crowd here, but that's not the same thing as touching Jesus, is it? I mean, when you think about what took place in this story, this crowd is there. They're happy to see Jesus. People are worshiping. Jairus is falling on his knees, pleading for healing. It is a crowd. It is a worship service if there ever was one, as they adore this coming Savior. And it says, according to Peter, that people were bumping into each other. And and so a lot of people were in that close proximity. And yet one woman gets healed. And I can't help but think that's a lot like some of our church services, that we come in here and there's a crowd. But isn't it amazing how that God speaks to us individually? That it's not so much the crowd, it's the one. I can't tell you how many times you hear people leave church saying, man, that was just what I needed. And I take no credit for that at all. That's the Holy Spirit. And it happens not just with the preaching, but sometimes it happens with the special music. People walk in and they walk out and say, man, it was like they picked that special music because they knew what I was going through. Or it's a particular hymn that is sung or a Sunday school lesson that is taught. And the reality is it has nothing to do with any of us. It's because we serve a God that is able in the midst of a crowd to reach down and touch us individually. And I would challenge us all this morning to to when we come to church, don't be so concerned about the crowd. Be concerned about reaching out and touching Jesus. Don't be listening to the the prayers of those around you. Let your heart be crying out prayers to God inside. Don't be so busy listening to the singing, whether it's good or bad, depending on which side of the room you're sitting on and who you're next to, but be busy singing praises to God. She individually sought to touch Jesus, and that made all the difference that day in her life. And if we would come into church with that in mind, not the crowd, but I'm going to church today, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do all that I can to get close enough to God today to just touch the hem of his garment, I think we'd walk out of here with some miracles too. That there'd be some changes take place in our lives, that we'd go home victoriously. But don't be confused. Being a part of the crowd means nothing. There were many in the crowd that day, but it was the woman who reached out and touched Jesus that went away with healing. Peter pointed said, Lord, there's everyone here. How, how would you know someone touched you? And Jesus says, I know. He says, because I perceive that power has gone out from me. And at first read, we might think that, man, Jesus was upset that someone touched him. But it wasn't that. I think Christ was delighted that people had this kind of faith. That they knew. In fact, there's another passage in the scriptures over in Matthew chapter 14. Listen to what it says there. It says, And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when, he, and when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick 
and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. You see, this, this thing, this understanding that, man, if I could just touch Jesus, everything will be okay, was part of their culture. And that ought to be a part of us, too, is that if I can just touch Jesus. Fourth thing, we don't have to be super spiritual. We just need to have faith. And I think some folks think that the only way anything big spiritually is ever going to happen in their life is if they completely understand everything in this book from cover to cover. And this woman is a testimony that you didn't have to be a theologian to have Christ do something in your life. You just had to have faith. And you might walk in here and, and you say, man, I don't know all the, all the ins and outs of Scripture. I don't know all the doctrines. I don't know all the, the teachings. I'm not a theologian. I, I've never been to Bible college. And, man, I'm new to this whole thing. But what makes the difference is faith. See, she wasn't a super spiritual person. In fact, she had probably not been in church very much. But she knew who to find when she really needed something. And she had faith that God would do something for her. And it made all the difference in the world. She was unknown. She wasn't a Spurgeon. She wasn't a Finney. She wasn't a D.L. Moody. She wasn't a Billy Sunday or a Billy Graham. She was an unknown woman with a sickness. But she had faith. She approached Jesus from behind. She didn't come up front. She didn't part the crowds. There was no special treatment given to her because of her position. She came humbly from behind. And she just simply reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And I like that because if we can just touch him, I don't have to completely understand Jesus I just need to touch him. I just need to have faith. Some of you have been saved a long time. And some of you maybe were saved as children, weren't you? We start going to church, I don't know, I was young, but I accepted Christ at seven. Did I understand everything there was to know about Christ at seven? Absolutely not. But I understood enough to know that I was a sinner and that Jesus loved me and he died for my sins. That's not a lot, but that's what's needed, isn't it? And you may be here this morning, and that might be all that you understand, because you're a sinner. And most of us admit that, don't we? Most of us are, are free and willing to admit, hey, I know that I'm a sinner. And most of us know that God loves us. And if you don't, amen, the Scripture is so clear. God loves you. He sent Jesus Christ to die for you, to pay the price for those sins. You know, that's the simple truth that needs to be known. You don't have to understand all the mysteries. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. He didn't understand it all. It's faith. And Jesus delights in exercising power. Six, we must not remain hidden when Jesus changes our lives. She walked in there that day, approached Jesus from behind, touched the hem of his garment, and immediately she was healed. But Jesus stopped and he said, someone touched me. I know because I feel that power has gone out. And they looked around the room and it was probably one of those moments of, did you do that? Was it you? And when everybody had denied that they didn't do it, that it wasn't them, finally this woman is there. And it says, when she was no longer hidden, 
When it was obvious that it was her that touched Jesus, trembling, she fell at his knees. She began to worship him, and she told everyone what she had done. She had touched the hem of his garment and why she did it, because she had faith that he could heal her. She was open about it. You see, we can come to Christ so quietly, but boy, once God has done something in our lives, we need to proclaim it boldly, don't we? And she was bold with that. And finally, in this passage, I want you to know this morning that we need to keep trusting Jesus no matter what. Think about this. The story opens with a man whose 12-year-old daughter is near death. And he comes running to Jesus, and he has risked a lot to be there too because people look at him, and they know his position. And so he comes, and he bows down before Christ, and he pleads with Jesus Come home with me. My daughter is dying. She needs you. And then it's almost like he's forgotten because of this incident with this woman. And I can imagine if they had had wristwatches in that day, he probably stood there as the discussion went around and looked at his watch and thinks, Come on, let's go. My daughter's sick. We don't have time for this. This urgency and the discussion takes place and I didn't touch Jesus. No, I didn't touch. Well, you must have touched Jesus. And he's saying, somebody just admit it. We've got to get to my house. And as all of this is going on, a servant runs up and says, never mind. Your daughter has died. Leave the teacher alone and quit bothering her. But what does Jesus say? He says, hey, just believe. Just believe. He says these words, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And the lesson we take from that, again, is simply this, is that we need to keep trusting Jesus no matter what. Man, if this man was told, don't worry, don't fear, just trust, knowing that his daughter had just died, What kind of situations have we been in? When maybe we had cried out to Jesus, maybe we had fallen at our knees before the altar and we had pleaded with God to answer our prayers and we had trusted that, man, if I can just get Jesus to come home with me, everything's going to be okay. And all of a sudden, it just didn't seem that it was okay. And we look back and we think, man, what, what have I been doing? I've been going to church, and I've been reading my Bible, and I've been praying, and I've been going to the altar, and I've been trying to live a clean life, and I've been doing all these things. I've been doing everything right, and Jesus didn't come through for me. But Jesus said, don't fear, just believe, trust me. We need to keep trusting Jesus no matter what. They get up and they head to the house, and Jesus says she's just sleeping. People laughed at him, which goes to show you the folks in that day were not naive. They were not ignorant. They were not superstitious. They were reality-based people just like we are. They were skeptics. They said, hey, she is dead. She's not sleeping, Jesus. And he, they laugh at him, and, and he shoos them out of the house. And the only ones there are his disciples and mom and dad. And he goes in and he grabs this little girl's hand. He says, wake up. 
then she wakes up and she stands and the joy begins to celebrate and Christ says, what are you waiting for? She's probably hungry. Feed her. In other words, life goes on. You know what? No matter what we've been through, sometimes God just needs to speak to us and say, hey, wake up. There's more to do. Keep trusting him no matter what. This morning, listen, we've come into this place and you could consider this a crowd. And we've sung, we've praised the Lord, we've preached from his word and we've celebrated. But the reality is you'll get more out of this service by just simply putting your faith in Christ than any of that other stuff. That if the biggest thing you do today is just simply fall on your knees and say, Oh God, I have a need and I trust you. You're the only one, God, that can really satisfy my need. And we put that faith in him. We'll walk out of here far better than if we were just part of the crowd. What's your need today? Is it a need for salvation? Come to Jesus. Say, I don't completely understand it. I'd like to know more. Just come to Christ. Accept him for what you know of him. Touch the hem of his garment. Maybe your need is to do with your life and what's going on in your home, what's going on in your your soul or your spirit. Maybe you're struggling with depression or discouragement. You just need to come to Christ. Maybe you're saying, hey, I, I, I don't know that he can do anything. Well, that sounds an awful lot like the servant that said, it's too late. And Jesus said, just trust me. Just trust me. Dear God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, for the examples of these two special people in Scripture. Lord, I thank you that in the midst of the crowd, you notice the individual that reaches out for you. Thank you, God, that you've put within us the ability to to have this faith in you. And, Lord, that you can take our faith, however small it is, even if it is as a grain of mustard seed, and you can do big things with it. Lord, help us to just reach out this morning and touch the hem of your garment, to believe you, trust you. Some of us have spent far too long trying to meet these needs in so many different ways in our lives. Like the woman, we've exhausted our income, our time, our materials, our talents. And Lord, we come to you now. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed.